It's great to be with you this morning here at Magna. Um, Obviously, normally, uh, my, uh, myself with my wife, Fru, we lead the uh, Ferndown campus, and we have a great time over there on a Sunday. Come on. We've got, some, we've got some Ferndown people in the house. Yes, we have. But it's fantastic to come together, isn't it? And just worship together. Uh, it's a great time of worship there. I want to thank the band and the guys for just leading us there. It was so good. Um, when I was in primary school... Um, at this time of year, there would always be a Christmas party. I don't know if you remember the Christmas party. In our school, maybe there was in yours as well, but in my school, there would always be a Christmas hat competition as part of the Christmas party. And so what would happen is the kids would make these... Actually, the kids wouldn't make anything. The parents would make these great Christmas hats. And my dad was brilliant, okay? My dad, all credit to him, he was fantastic at making Christmas hats. I remember one year he made me this, this thing that looked like Santa's sleigh and it had presents in it. And I wore it on my head. I was so proud. And I was sure I was going to win. I was expecting to... This was going to be my year. And I turned up and I didn't win. I think I came third... Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, you're totally right. And kind of move on a few years. And now I've got children of my own. And, and I remember, I don't know if they still do it now, but when our children, when JJ and Gideon and Charlotte, when they were younger and they were growing up, this, this tradition has seemed to continue. They would have a Christmas party and they would also have these Christmas hat competitions. And I remember it was the week uh, before the end of term. And JJ came into the kitchen and said, I need a Christmas hat today. And we're, Fru and I looked at each other, look, it's not going to happen, okay? Just eat your breakfast. We're not going to get... A... And JJ says, don't worry, I've got it covered. And he emptied the Weetabix out the Weetabix box. <laughs> and he literally opened the Weetabix box and put it on his head. And he said, this is my Christmas hat. And Fru and I looked at each other and think, well, do we, do we stop this? He's going to go to school, and we would expect he's going to get picked on a little bit if he goes with his Christmas hat. But he, look, he just looks so cute and so confident that we thought, now, well, let's, just, let, let's let him go. Let's let him run with this. And so there we were, walking to school, holding his hand, and all these parents and kids had their amazing hats. There was, there was like a snowman on their head. Somebody had kind of things spinning and, and, and rockets going off. Somebody had the northern lights going on above their head. I mean, literally, they were amazing things. And JJ's there with a Weetabix box on his head. And we're like, oh, this is, he's going to get picked on so badly. The end of the day comes, JJ comes home and says, I won. <laughs> no word of a lie. You won. He won with a Weetabix box. And we said, well, well, how? How did that happen? And he said, well, the teacher said to me, this looks like you made it yourself. <laughs> so, Here's a tip for all you parents out there who think you need to spend a long time on those Christmas hats, Weetabix box, cornflakes box, anything. Just make it look like they've done it themselves and you're on for a winner. You see, often the thing we expect is not an indicator of reality. We expect things that don't actually happen. And, and I wonder this morning what your expectations are of this season of Christmas. So my, my title today, can't remember what it is, it's what to expect this 
Christmas. What to expect? What's your expectations of Christmas? What's it going to look like for you? Is your expectations of Christmas, is the picture you've got in your head of a beautiful house, tastefully decorated with just the right amount of tinsel, just the right amount of lights? Is it a perfectly shaped Christmas tree that hasn't lost its needles, with the presents all wrapped and ribboned and beautifully ordered underneath the tree? Is your expectation of Christmas a little bit of festive music? A little bit of festive music. Gently wafting from Alexa. A little bit of festive music. Imagine a little bit of festive music. (laughs) All right. Is your expectation of Christmas a bowl of nuts on the table with hazelnuts that you can actually break and almonds that you can actually crack? Maybe your expectation of Christmas is the the smell of a horse-sized Christmas turkey cooking in the kitchen, wafting through to the lounge. Maybe your expectation of Christmas is your children playing board games around the table with that Christmas music gently playing in the background. (laughs) And they're gazing adoringly into one another's eyes and they're saying, can I get you anything to make your day better? Dad, can I fetch you another mulled wine? (laughs) And just then the, the doorbell rings and it's carol singers singing Deck the Halls with Bows of Holiday as the as the snow starts to fall gently and covers your neighborhood with a blanket of white. Let's just sit in this image for a moment. No, that's enough. That's enough. I wonder if we put a bit too much pressure on ourselves to be something, to have an expectation that actually we can't live up to, to make everything perfect, choosing exactly the right presence, cooking the perfect dinner hosting the perfect party, trying to match these expectations we've got in our heads. And I don't want to knock. I don't want to knock anybody's expectations for this Christmas. But I think we need to realize that our expectations and our hope of Christmas actually rarely match the reality. And this creates a tension. And what I want to do today is I want to try and resolve this tension. The tension between the way that we think that things should look and the way that things actually end up looking. So, what should our expectations be? What can we expect this Christmas? Well, we're going to take our cue from uh, the Nativity story today, and it's from a great couple that we read right at the beginning of the New Testament, Mary and Joseph, who I would imagine they had their own expectations for their own life. But things didn't really work out as they were expecting. I wonder if you've ever seen a school nativity and they choose the children to play the different parts. And Mary, you all know who gets chosen as Mary, right? It's the goody two-shoes. It's the good girl, right? It's the one who's not going to upset the apple cart. It's the one who's not going to beat up the kids in the back row. She's not, she's not going to be picking her nose. She's just always just lovely and sat there beautifully doing what she's supposed to do. That's, why, that's how Mary gets picked. If your child has ever been Mary, you know this is better than any school report. It means that you're doing something right. Well, 
two years ago, my Eliza was chosen as an angel. All right? And this was Eliza in her nativity show being the angel Gabriel. And we were so proud, obviously. Last year, last year, Eliza was chosen to be the shepherd's assistant. All right? So a whole new character was introduced into the story just for our Eliza. The shepherd's assistant. Not the shepherd, the assistant to the shepherd. All right? She was the shepherd. No word of it. She was the shepherd's assistant. So she doesn't look after the sheep. She manages the shepherd's diaries. I don't know what a shepherd's assistant does. All right. But this year, guess what Eliza is this year? No. The third camel. The third camel. Now I can see, I can see this, this, this thing going, descending, like, like angel, shepherd's assistant, third camel. So proud. So proud of her. And I was not expecting third camel. All right, let's go into the Bible while we're, uh, yeah, we'll, while we're here. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. It's a really well-known kind of bit of the Bible. It's, it's one that we get, we'll probably get this a few times this Christmas. It's one that we all read after, from Luke 2, chapter, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 2, from verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. All right, so there's two things that we see in this passage that Mary was expecting at this point. One, she was expecting to be married. And two, she was expecting to have a baby. Now, these are not insignificant expectations. We've got somebody in our family, JJ and Lydia, they're going to get married this coming next next summer and so there's a bit of a uh, there's a bit of energy a bit of dynamism around the house as they are getting ready uh, for this big day and Fru's kind of looking for shoes and outfits and and they're booking venues and working out meals and things it's it's a big expectation and then there's the expectation of having a baby uh, uh, that Mary had as well and again this is not insignificant the actual text says she is expecting a child and when somebody's pregnant, it's one of the words that we use, isn't it? We use this word expecting. They are, you're not, they're not expecting a baby, <laughs> by the way, in case you think there's a link there. Rain that in. All right. I wonder what Mary was expecting. Whatever it was, I'm sure the reality didn't match up to her expectation. Before the visit from the angel, okay, let's just go back. Let's go back a, a couple of weeks. Before the visit from the angel, okay, she was a young girl. Mary was a young teenage girl with a, uh, I guess, a standard, well-worn path laid out in front of her. She lived in the small village of Nazareth where she knew everybody and everybody uh, knew her. As she walked down the street, because she was 
Mary, people would say, oh, she's such a lovely girl, that Mary. She's so well behaved. She's, uh, she's so quiet and unassuming, so serene. She's always smiling. Wouldn't hurt a fly, that Mary. Joseph, uh, he's so lucky to have that girl. Because she was betrothed to Joseph, who was a builder, a carpenter. And so there was no, there was no worry about where she was going to live. If she was marrying a builder, it's always a good thing. And then she gets this visit from an angel, which was pretty unexpected. Visit from an angel. For those of you who know your Bibles, you know that this takes place right at the start of what we call the New Testament. Well, if we look at the end of the Old Testament, the last thing that was written was written 400 years previously. And then we start the New Testament 400 years later. And these 400 years, these intervening years, have been a difficult 400 years. In fact, theologians call these years the quiet years. Because actually it felt like to the nation of Israel that God had stopped communicating with them. Now during this time they'd been invaded and, and overcome, overran by and conquered by various armies, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Medes, by the Greeks. And now they are occupied by the Romans. It's been a difficult 400 years and, and Mary's expectation is just that her life will play out in a normal way. Nothing, expecting nothing significant to happen. And I wonder if you've felt like that or you feel like that right now. Whether you look at your own life and you think, actually, who am I that God would talk to me? Who am I that God would have a purpose for me, I'm, I'm too old. Surely God would use somebody young with energy. Or maybe you think, I'm just too young. Surely God is going to come and talk to somebody who's got experience and a bit more wisdom. Or maybe you think, I'm just too busy or too average or just uh, kind of too low. You think too low of yourself, too damaged, too shy. You see, our expectations can be so low of ourselves. But this is the amazing thing about God, that he sees us differently to how we see ourselves. He looks at us. He looks at every single one of us, and he sees potential. He sees potential. He sees your possibilities. He doesn't care about those, those other things. There's, a, there's a, um, an, an account in 1 Samuel where um, Samuel goes to, the, to Jesse to try and find the next king of Israel. And he sees all Jesse's sons lined up, these strong, tall, handsome guys. And he says, surely it's got to be one of these. And God says, no, no, no. I don't look at what you look at. You're looking at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. I look at the inside. And I see potential where you don't see potential. And you know what the key is? to being used by God? Do you know what the key is to, to, to God having a plan and a purpose for your life? It's just to make yourself available. God uses those who make themselves available, who are willing. He looks at your heart. And so God steps into Mary's story and he gives her the big news. He says, you're, you're, you know, through the angel, you're gonna have a baby. I know you're a virgin, but this is, this is God's son. And the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and the baby will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in that moment, for Mary, everything changed. Her expectations, gone. Just like that, reality is something different. 
All her expectations of a normal life are tips upside down. But I love Mary's response, and we can learn something from this. These are powerful words. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Or may it be according to your word. God, I'm scared. I don't know what this means. I don't understand what this is going to look like. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what will become of me. But I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. And now here she is in Nazareth, this pregnant, unmarried teenager in a society where unfaithfulness is punishable by stoning to death. Well, that's a change in expectations, right? In Nazareth, where everyone knows everyone's business, and now that she walks down the street, everybody's going, I always knew that Mary, there was something wrong with her. She's a wrong than that one. I don't know what Joseph sees in her. So Mary's expectations change. She's going to be the mother of the Son of God. And then this news comes through of a decree, a census, that means they're going to have to travel. And nobody is expecting that. Least of all Mary. And she's like, look, God, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant with your son. Surely I get a free pass on this. Surely you're not expecting me to travel 70 miles from Bethlehem to Nazareth while I'm eight months pregnant. I wonder how many times she had to think or use that phrase, I am the Lord's servant. If this is how it has to be, I am the Lord's servant. If I've got to travel 70 miles on the back of a donkey or camel or walk however she, however she went, whilst eight months pregnant, I am the Lord's servant. If there's no one willing to take me in once I get to Bethlehem, and if I'm going to be kind of on the street and homeless, I am the Lord's servant. If I've got to sleep with the animals in this stable or cave or back room or whatever it was, I am the Lord's servant. If I've got to give birth to this baby lying here in the straw with no hot water, with animal dung all around, and if I've got to put the baby in this cow's feeding trough, supposedly the son of God, God, I don't understand it. But I am the Lord's servant. It's a great response for when our reality doesn't match our expectation. I am the Lord's servant. Now, I don't know how much this Christmas is going to match up with your expectations, but I wonder if we can set our expectations more appropriately. All right? I wonder if we can, what should we expect this Christmas? What can we expect of God? Both actually at Christmas, actually in all seasons of our life. Well, there's a great passage, and it's in Jeremiah, and it gives us a bit of an insight into... Um, into this idea, this, this tension between expectations and reality. And it's a really, really well-known verse. It's a well-known prophecy. And it's a word from God for, given for his people. And actually, when it was written, it was given at a time when, nation, uh, when the nation of Israel didn't really know what to expect with their lives. And uh, you see, Jerusalem has been captured and invaded by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And many of the Israelites have been taken to Babylon and now living in exile. And there's various prophets, and some of the prophets are saying, well, this is only going to be one or two years. 
don't worry, this is gonna this is gonna be over very quickly. And there's other prophets saying, look, we're all doomed. We're all doomed, it's never gonna end. And then God brings a word to Jeremiah. And this is the word he says, look, you need to tell the people, this is gonna be 70 years. It's gonna be 70 years. And what you need to do is you need to work for the city that you're in. You need to work for the prosperity of the city that you find yourselves in. Now, I don't usually like to take prophecies from the Old Testament and try and apply them directly to, uh, to my life or to your life. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I think, actually, we have a far better covenant now that we live in uh, that, we can, that we can hang our hat on. Um, but what we can learn from these prophecies is something about the nature of God. And this particular verse in Jeremiah, it's from uh, chapter 29, verse 11. I'm sure most of you know it. It's, it gives us a great insight into God's character. It's a speak, it speaks of the nature of God, and we can glean truths from them and how we can, uh, what we can expect from God in our own lives. This is what he said through Jeremiah. He said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope, and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. So what does this tell us about God? And what does it tell us about how we should manage our expectations, where we should put our expectations? Firstly, I think we can expect that whatever our life looks like, you know, this is what Don was talking about earlier, about us being more than conquerors. Sometimes our life doesn't look like we expect. But whatever our life does look like, we can expect that God has a plan. He has a plan. Sometimes we feel like there isn't a plan because he doesn't do the things the way that I would do them. Okay, if I was in charge, if I was making the plan, I wouldn't do it like that, God. You see, we learn at school that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Right? And so we think, well, if I was making the plan, I'd make everything a nice straight line. I want to get from, from here, I want to get to there, and this is how I would plan it. But it's not what God does. You know, something, you know, God kind of does this and up and down and round, and we get to where we need to be, but he moves us. Because God is far more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. And it's in, those, it's in that kind of meandering, it's that, it's that working through those challenges that our character grows. So what we can we expect? We can expect that God has a plan for us. Maybe we question whether God has a plan because our life is not as smooth as we would like it. But this is the thing. He says that he has a plan for us and that he knows the plan for us. What he doesn't do, what he doesn't promise is that we will know the plan. And maybe you're thinking right now, well, Surely, if it's a plan for my life, I need to know it. I need to know what the plan is. I need to see the blueprint, God. Come on. Show me the plan. Show me the plan. God, I need to know the plan so I know what to do. I wonder if that's actually true. I wonder if, if Mary knew the plan. If she knew the plan from the beginning, how would she respond? What if the angel had said, greetings, Mary, O oh, highly blessed and favored Lady, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You're going to carry the Son of God inside you. The King of Kings, the Messiah. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be ostracized by your entire community. (laughs) Joseph is going to have a few doubts too. But 
we'll try and deal with that. When you're going to give birth, there's going to be this decree and you're going to have to travel whilst Amon's pregnant on a donkey uh, to Bethlehem. Uh, sorry about that. You'll be sleeping rough in a stable and that's exactly where you're going to give birth to the Son of God in the stable. <laughs> Blessed and highly favoured one. Oh, and then there's going to be another decree. You see, Herod's going to hear about this baby being born and he's not going to be too happy. And so he's going to decree that all the boys under two years old are going to be killed. So what you're going to have to do, you're going to have to flee to Egypt with your baby, okay? If you thought traveling to Bethlehem by donkey while pregnant was hard, taking a toddler to Egypt, that's going to be something else. Oh, and then you're going to come back. You're going to come back to Nazareth and you're going to bring your family and you're going to start to make a life for yourself. Uh, but there's always something slightly strange about this boy that you've got who seems to know things that he shouldn't know. And one day, when he's 30 years old, he's going to begin a ministry, that sounds great, doesn't it? He's going to begin a ministry. There's going to be healings, and he's going to bring great teaching. He's going to change the hearts and minds of people. And it sounds amazing because people are going to really like him. But there's also going to be people who don't really like him. And in fact, what's going to happen is these people, actually people you respect, the religious leaders, they're going to arrest your son. And they're going to torture him. And they're going to execute him in the most horrible way imaginable and guess what Mary you've got front seats for the whole thing oh highly blessed and favoured one how would Mary respond knowing the plan I know in my own life it's when I look back it's when I look back at where God has brought me and I go oh my goodness I didn't even know I had the strength to get through that I didn't even know that I would have been able to cope with that. And it's looking back that we see where God has brought us. Because guess what? He knows the plan. I don't need to know the plan. What can we expect in our lives? We don't need to know the plan. We just need to know that he knows the plan. And he's got us. And it's a good plan. It's a plan for our hope for, and a future plan to for, for actually what does he say he says uh, a plan to prosper you not to harm you what, am I, what, what, does he, what does this mean prosper and harm well what it doesn't mean is prosper it doesn't mean you're going to win the lottery alright it's not about you're going to get the present you always wanted you're going to get your Tesla for Christmas okay it doesn't mean that and when he says uh, a plan to, uh, not to harm you it doesn't mean you're not going to go through pain we all do because actually, our, pros our prospering, our soul prospering, actually comes mostly through the pain. Through, the, through those things that we have to face. And the prospering is us getting closer to God. Our relationship building to Jesus. It, it's, it's knowing him more intimately, knowing him better and better. That's what the prospering is. And we have a future. We have an eternity. Having a faith and an expectation that says, I know you've got this, God. Even though I'm feeling pain right now, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. And not only are you bring, going to bring me through, not only can I expect that you've got a plan, I can expect, God, that you are Emmanuel. This is something else we can expect. Not only does God have a plan, a good plan for us, but he's promised, promised to be with us in the plan. In Matthew chapter 1, 
uh, we read this. This is right at the beginning of the New Testament. He said, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. I think... I've been, I've been pondering this passage this week, thinking about uh, what it says. And, and I've subconsciously read this in a bit of a, in a, bit of a gentle way. All right? Probably because that's how it's read at nativity plays. And often, and often uh, pe- uh, preachers or vicars giving sermons, they'll read it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. How sweet. How nice. I don't think that's what it is at all. I think this is one of the most powerful statements in the whole of the Bible. This is the gospel of Jesus. I think this is, uh, they will, he will, uh, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. People, God with us. He is with us. What can you expect this Christmas? You can expect that he is with you. He is with us. When we're walking through those difficult moments, when our character is being developed in that way, in the fire, if you're going through a messy separation or divorce, if you're going through health issues, if you're going through depression, if you're going through relationship difficulties, if you're struggling at work with a difficult boss or you're struggling at school with bullies or or whatever's going on in your life, God is Emmanuel. He's with you in it. If you're struggling to pay the bills, if your income is descending and your outgoings feel like they're going up, God is Emmanuel. He is with you. If your boiler has blown up just before Christmas, Dean and Jenny, man, you guys, God is with you. You can expect that. You can expect that. You can expect that he's got a plan for you. You can expect that he's got a future for you. And you can expect that he is with you. Like he spoke through Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And maybe, maybe in all the noise of Christmas, we can find God again. And we can, like Mary, say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that our confidence and our expectation in you is a sure thing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, you have plans for us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us, God. Lord, I pray that this season, amongst all the noise, all the, all the things that's going on, the, the World Cup and the shopping and the cooking and the wrapping and the decorating, all these things, God, they're all fun things, but I pray, Lord God, that in all of these things that we would keep our eyes fixed on you and we would expect those good things that you promised to us that you are Emmanuel you are God with us and you have a plan for us help us 
God, to keep that at the front of our minds in every situation. God, we thank you for your word. Amen. Amen.